of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And that is what God is going to do for you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord will speak a word to you, especially today in Jesus' name. Amen. And that word will heal every affliction that may be trying to stick itself to your body. In Jesus' name. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Okay, let's start from the book of Ephesians chapter 5. That would be a good one to start with, the book of Ephesians chapter 5. This is what salvation is. I want us to understand what salvation is. There's something I've repeated a number of times, and that sometimes Christians get into unnecessary divisions because they don't understand the purpose of something. You know, there is a reason why the Bible talks about the spirit of the law for us believers. Jesus said something that God is seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That statement is loaded. Now, those who want to worship God by root, that's what they call root worship. I discussed that in How to Work for God. They just want to check whether they have fulfilled the letters. So you see a lot of arguments arising amongst believers concerning letters. Now, that's not true Christianity. Letters is you want to just ensure that you have dotted the T's and... Did you dot the T's? Or you you dot the I's and cross the T's, okay? (laughs) So that you give yourself a sense of self-righteousness. As believers in Christ Jesus, actually, our righteousness is not based on those little acts of, you know... Um, obedience to commandments. Our righteousness is based primarily on faith, the faith that we have in Christ Jesus. Please, let's bear that in mind. So we're not trying to do those things to be sure, okay, have I done it so that God can bless me? No. Many things that God will require of us believers may not even be written clearly in scriptures, but we understand the spirit behind what God is saying. Do you get my point? So that even if he did not give instructions, we will know what to do. And that is his aim. That is his aim for us as believers in Christ Jesus. That we have the spirit of God so that even when instructions are not given, we will know exactly what to do. Many times Christians go into unnecessary arguments. This is my best example. This is the best way I like to illustrate it. Paul wrote to Timothy and he explained to him that a deacon must be a husband of one wife. And I've heard arguments from men again and again especially older men who want to be Christians and marry that second wife. They will hold on to that, to the letters that that instruction was given to whom? For whom? Deacons. So they say, since I'm neither a deacon nor do I desire to be a deacon, why can't I take a second wife? Now, when you do that, you have missed the, instru- the spirit of that instruction. And that's a very simple one. You've so missed it. The spirit is about a deacon being an example for believers. That's all. So it's not about, do I want to be a deacon or I don't want to be a deacon? Because if you see that set of instructions, he gave instructions concerning the person must be able to bear rule in his house. Why don't you say, because I don't plan to be a deacon, my children should run riot? Will you say that? Of course not. When they say, must not be given to wine. Why don't you say, because um, I don't plan to be a deacon, I should be a drunkard? It must have a good reputation with those who are outside. Do we now say, because I'm not planning to be a deacon, I don't need to be of good behavior so that I'll be able to represent my Christ Jesus properly outside? Do you follow my point? It shouldn't be covetous. Does it mean because I'm a deacon, I don't plan to be a deacon, I should be covetous? You see, 
when he was talking about Dickens, those instructions, he was giving them those instructions. He was giving them for Dickens because they are the ones that are going to stand forward, stand in front as examples for others to follow. So even though it appears like he was writing that for Dickens, the spirit is so clear. Do you get my point? And again, just for, for, for completeness, you can get um, the, the doctrine of monogamy. It's on our website. You can just get the write-up in that area. Okay, so that I don't want to discuss that in details. But what, what he actually said is that the deacon must be a man of one woman. Just like I say, he must not be given to, given to wine. He must not be a fraudulent person. He also must not be a womanizer. That's what he was saying. All of us need this understanding of the spirit behind every instruction that we have been given. Now, that's number one. Number two, I want to remind us, our righteousness, I said it last time, I just feel like going over it again. For us believers, our righteousness is based on the faith we have in Christ Jesus. What we are doing now is walking so as to be pleasing to him. Righteousness is the foundation of our walk with God. It's not the aim of it. The target is not to attain to righteousness. You can't walk with God until righteousness has been established. Please, you are getting my point here. You start from the position of righteousness. Only righteous people can walk with the Lord. That's the first thing. So how do we become righteous? It is by faith. Herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Are you getting my point? Is the power of God for salvation? Is the power of God for deliverance? The righteousness of God. There are different kinds of righteousness. The one we operate by is the righteousness of God. How am I made righteous? Is by my faith. I'm not made righteous by my works. I am made righteous because I hold on tenaciously to the faith of Christ Jesus. Let me add it again. Faith does not mean I came to church one day and I agreed with you that Jesus died. And I agreed with you that Jesus rose again from the dead. And I agreed with you. That's not what faith is. Faith means to cling to that fact and to live your life based on that fact. Otherwise, the faith is dead. Demons don't disagree concerning the death of Jesus. I hope you get my point. But that does not beget obedience in them. I answered an altar call does not mean I'm saved. Do you follow my point? How am I saved? Is when I truly hand my life over to Christ Jesus. When I truly hand my life over to Christ Jesus, that is the basis of salvation. Please, I hope you are getting my point. It is not when I come to God and say to him, I have believed in Jesus and I walk away and I don't come back. Salvation is that I gave my life to Christ and I left it with him. Let me explain again. Salvation does not mean perfection. If it meant perfection, John wrote for no, for no reason. John said, if we confess our sins, why should we confess our sins if we're already perfect? Do you get my point? Why is there forgiveness with God if we're already perfect? He recognizes that we are not perfect. You, in a moment, I'll get back to the reason why I said the first thing I said about getting the spirit behind something. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. I'll get back to it. Now, I just wanted to establish these things. We need forgiveness. 
We pray for one another. John said, if you see a brother committing a sin that is not unto death, so it is possible that a believer will commit a sin. Do you get my point? So salvation does not mean perfection. I am not talking about the fact that you did something wrong. It means you are not saved. Sometimes that's the reason why, that, which is the reason why I said the first thing I said. People don't get the spirit behind discussions. They don't get the spirit behind words. When you are explaining to people, they know, okay, did you, are you trying to say somebody sins? He's no longer a believer. Nobody ever says that. But if sin becomes a habit and you enjoy it, I hope you're getting my point. We start doubting your salvation. Let me just say clearly, right? There's no point, you know, standing, trying to be on the fence. It is not true that you can't lose your salvation. It can't possibly be true. It can't possibly be true. Why do I say it can't possibly be true? Let's read the scriptures. I think we should read a number of it. Quickly open to the book of Hebrews. I just feel like we should read some of those things today. However, before I will read it, before we read it. If you truly gave your life to Christ, you're not likely to lose it. The scriptures people quote sometimes that Jesus said, all the ones that came to me, I did not lose. Apart from, but he put apart. Did you notice that? All the ones the Lord gave to me, I didn't lose. Apart from, there's an apart from. And what is the apart in the apart? You know, what, what made that fellow apart? Jesus may say, let me hold you. You say, no, I want to go. He does not force anybody to stay. So don't be afraid because that's the spirit behind, I was talking about spirit. Sometimes some people, when they want to argue a point, they are hearing things you did not say. I've heard people say that it takes a little things like, a little thing like this to go to hell. That's not true. I don't believe that. I was there, a man was preaching. When I was on campus, he said that one woman was a good Christian all her life. She went to the market and she got into a fight. Because of the disturbance, you know, the mental stuff, she was crossing the road afterwards, did not look, a car came, knocked her down. And that preacher said, you see, she just went to hell. I said, because of a fight? I hope you know, fights don't send you to hell. Evil thoughts are worse than fights. I hope you get my point. Yeah, evil thoughts are worse than fights. A man that comes and slaps you and the one that's wishing you bad, which one do you think is worse? The one wishing you bad, the one that slapped you may just have a, something may just be wrong with him. One man yesterday did something to me in traffic. I couldn't believe it. I said, please, sir. You know, one bus stopped, so it really just became tight. So I wanted to squeeze behind the bus. So that, and because of my position, I was now blocking other cars behind me. And he was just in the position that if you move forward like five inches, I'll be able to go behind and free the traffic. I said, please, sir, can you just move forward? He said, no, be your brother. Ah. My wife was shocked. I said, which one is my brother? That should get away. Ah. I just want to say, please, sir, please just move forward a bit so that you create some gap behind. Then I'll be able to squeeze between him and the boss, which was causing the obstruction. But I've learned in this my life. No, see, boss, boss people will not change because, look. <laughs> if you like, see, eh? I used to get angry before with them. I've jumped out of the bo- my vehicle to kick a boss with my foot. <laughs> I've, I've done it before. You know, after a while, I realized that he just died for nothing. <laughs> yes, because these guys are not planning to change. 
So that's why yesterday I didn't even think about the boss. I said, this guy, he's not going to change. Let me just talk to the reasonable driver. The guy told me to get away. That is my brother that's, that's in the bus. I was confused. Do I look like the bus driver? <laughs> now, why did I tell this story? It just happened yesterday, so it's just hilarious, you know. But I'm telling you that some people are in the bad shape. They, you don't know what's their problem. I told my wife, something is wrong. This guy, I think his wife just left him because something is wrong. <laughs> Such a person can slap you if you say good morning. And you know what? The Bible says he's mindful that we are both flesh. Jesus just said, don't mind him. If you, if, if, you, if you two locked down, locked out your business, your wife now left, you will shoot somebody. No being little slappers. So somebody slapped you, it's not a big deal. But the people are just wishing you evil all the time. If God had to send one person to hellfire, he will send that one. Yeah, this preacher said to me, I was there that day. When I was in, on campus, he was preaching on campus, that that, man just, that woman just went to hell. I said, no. No. Moses did worse. By disobeying God, he did worse. So we're not saying that people lose their salvation for every little thing. No, nobody's saying that. But to say it is impossible is not correct doctrine. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not correct doctrine. However, if you really hold on to Jesus, you can't. Did you hear what I said? Let me say it again. If truly you give your life to Christ Jesus, you can't. He won't let you go. I'm just saying that there are people who have demanded it back from him. Give me my life. Give me my life. Working with you is not profitable. Let me give an example. When I was, in, when I was a house officer, I used to carry, you know, I've always been like that. You can't be with me for a long time. You won't realize that this guy is a Christian. You, it's not, those days it was even more advert, advert, it was more advert, no, I'm looking for the word like advertorial, you know, the way I used to behave. I wasn't trying to advertise it, but there was a way I just behaved. That is like, you wouldn't find me without a Bible. I always had a little Bible. I carried tape recorders about and listened to messages. I did funny things like that. You, you know, you find things, you know, Christian, Okay, I don't want to use the word Christian, not like I hang a cross, but a book, stuff like that. If, if, if I'm going out in the morning, one of the things I take is a Christian book I'm reading at that point in time. You know, maybe a Kenneth Hagin, you know, we used to read a lot of Kenneth Hagin, or maybe a Derek Prince, you hear me quote Derek Prince a lot, you know, a book, Bishop Hidepo, you know, stuff like that. I always had a book. So this man was my chief when I was a house officer. So one day he saw me, he said, yeah, Christian, yes. I said, yes. So he looked at me and like, Wow. That used to be like me when I was in university. So I like, used to be? Do people do this thing and walk away? He's like, he's like telling me, I used to be a human being, now I'm a monkey. You know that kind of thing? <laughs> no, that's the way it came across to me. So I'm like, what? He said, but he realized it was not worth it. Now I'm giving you the words this man gave me. He said he realized it was not worth it. And I said, sir, what was not worth what? Don't twist your tongue trying to repeat what I said. It's a bit tricky. I said to him, sir, what was not worth what? It baffled me because, you know, the Christianity I understood. It cannot not be worth it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because it was free. I don't know whether you're getting my point. 
It was free. All I had was forgiveness of sin. All he gave to me was direction in life. All he gave to me, do you get my point? Was purpose. And I came out from a group of people that were fantastic brethren. They are my friend till today. Most of us have met Pastor Courage. You've met Mommy Ann. We were in school together. Mommy Ann and I were in the same ex-school as far back as 1988. 32 years ago. One day she said that her children looked at her and said, Mommy, how can we find friends like you have? They asked her, how, do you, how did you get these kind of friends? Now, somebody is not telling me it was not I don't know whether you're getting my point. I looked at him and said, sir, what was not worth what? It was not, you see where I'm going? You know what I realized what it wasn't worth? What was not worth what something? <laughs> Do you know they realized that I'm depriving myself for the sake of Christ? That's what they think. So boys are carrying girls, I can't. Do you get my point? I can't. So they see it as loss. So this walking in righteousness is an effort for some people. I've heard people say things like this. People like Chris Okoti, they first enjoyed life and then they give their life to Christ. As if, as if see cheating. I'm serious. Like they, they first rocked life. Don't be a fool. The same man said the greatest, the greatest desire of his life at the time was to commit suicide. The life he said he was enjoying led him to suicide. He said he will stand at the, door, the window of his hotel suite in Federal Palace Hotel and the greatest desire of his heart will be to jump out of the window. Ravi Zakaria said this man was interviewed. Boom, 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 boom Boris. Those of you remember Boris Becker. Who won Wimbledon at the age of 17. I was a little boy at that time, but I remember. Boris Becker won Wimbledon he was 17. Instant stardom. Instant millions. They said, what has been your greatest challenge? Because he won it again, I think the following year. He won it about three times in a few years. They said, what has been your greatest challenge? He said, keeping alive. Because the greatest temptation is suicide. Your greatest challenge, he said, yes. To be, to be willing to live. All I want to do is die. Boris Becker. So when a man told me it was not worth it, I was like, what was not worth what? It's like you go somewhere, they serve you. Let's assume, as, as an example, you go there, it's free. The meeting is starting by 10. You came for a meeting. You arrive by 9.30. Or you arrive at 9.45. Then the wife of the man who called for the meeting says, ah, you guys are here already, please oh, Let me serve you something while you're waiting. And send everybody a cup of tea and two, two cracker biscuits. Two cracker, cracker biscuits. Think about it. It's not much, is it? But as little as it is, can you say it was not worth it? Because, what do you mean? It's free? You came for a meeting? You are waiting? She didn't, she didn't owe you nothing. Then she gave you something. 
Then you open your mouth and say it wasn't worth it. That was how I felt that day when that man said it was not worth it. I looked at him and said, what was not worth what? Free life? It wasn't worth it? I'm not paying anything. I like that song. He said, how did it go again? He said, I didn't have to beg him nor promise anything. I just accepted Jesus. He took my sins away. You remember that song? You don't remember the song? He took my sins away. He took my sins away. He that knew no sin. Everything he paid. I didn't have to beg him nor promise anything. I just accepted Jesus. He took my sins away. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. All things have passed away. I'm born again. More than a conqueror. That's what I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. See, I didn't have to promise anything. And you're telling me it was not worth it? Are you high on coding? Are you getting my point? I'm so frustrated. 30 years almost after that experience. I'm still frustrated. My old girl, what was not worth what? I know what his problem was. He wanted to womanize. He wanted to sleep around. He thought going to parties was life. And he was being denied that because of Christ Jesus. So what did Jesus give him? You know, back. Why did I tell you about that? Because apparently he took his life back. And said, Jesus... You know, pay. And somebody wants to tell me he's still saved. A man just told me I used to be a Christian. Being a Christian was not worth it. So I stopped being. Listen to me, he's no longer saved. The Bible makes it clear it is not true. I'm emphasizing if you give your life to Christ and leave it with him, you're safe. You can't lose your salvation like that. You can't. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. They said one priest wrote something. I was reading somewhere. I don't know where I read it over the last few days. He said, he went to God. He said, God, can we have a discussion? God said, go ahead. He said, I want to give you all my sins. And you give me all your forgiveness. And he said, God, if you say it's not a good deal, let me ask you, what will you be doing with the forgiveness? <laughs> So if I went to God and said, with all this forgiveness, you have to forgive somebody. If you don't give it to us, what will you do with it? And as funny as it sounds, that's the truth. If you have so much forgiveness, if he has it, what is he doing with it? I'll tell you. He's forgiving his children. He's mindful that they are both flesh. Sometimes they do things that are wrong. Many times people have come to me before, they are crying over, crying over. They say, that is all. Don't worry now. Many times they say, I impregnated a woman. I say, you did. So what do you want to do? You want to marry? Hey, we thank God. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do it again, but am I not going to shoot you because of that? I was, he's been there before. We'll arrange, I said, she, we'll go see the papa. Hey, let's go now. We'll go say, daddy, we're all responsible. All of us are okay. All of us. It is, it is us. It is us. He and Carl was in front. It is us. <laughs> it's all, he says, it's all of us. So he said, okay, you want to kill us? No, hey, we have come to pay bride price. We will pay. Abby? Has he lost his salvation? Of course not. He has gotten a wife. And we'll go to church and give thanks. It doesn't mean we're supporting it. I hope you're getting my point. 
I mean, that has happened. Look, so, we're not saying, so, so sometimes people get the spirit of what you are saying, they get it wrong. They think you're telling believers that um, you've lost your salvation because of this one. No, we didn't say that. I know some people used to preach it. Let me say to those who are truly believers, if you really give your life to Christ and you live that life with him, I told the story of that man because he took it back. And many people take it back all the time. Because somebody says to them, when you give your life to Christ, you will prosper. They give their life to Christ and they don't prosper. Can I quickly tell you something? It's not true that when you give your life to Christ, you will prosper. That's materially. It's not true. Many people gave their lives to Christ. That was the beginning of material lack. Yeah. Sometimes they were not even stealing before. Now, if they were stealing before, of course the stealing comes to an end. I mean, if you're a young woman, you, came, you claim to have given your life to Christ, you were following sugar daddies before. If you still follow sugar daddy, let me tell you something, you will die. If God wants to save you, you wouldn't stop. And you really gave your life, let me tell you something. Hey, you know, say, my name is Amos. So I tell the truth. Let me tell you what God does to Christians who will not agree to stop their bad habits. He kills them. He will squeeze them. Listen, because there are believers who truly believe, but they just won't leave their bad habits alone. Jesus is always forgiving them every day. Jesus, that is, they sin. Jesus said, what is wrong with you? You smoke? He said, Jesus, yes, I smoke too. That was why I did. Don't do it again, no. Okay, Lord Jesus, just forgive me. Jesus will forgive, they will go. After a while, Jesus will look at this boy. Let me tell you something. One thing that sin does to you in life. It makes you useless to God. Sin makes you useless. Jesus can't use you for anything. Your name is Paul or Saul. And really, God called you and gave you a serious ministry. He wants to do something great with your life on this earth. You say you gave your life to Christ. Then your girlfriend now came back and said, ah, you gave your life to Christ. She becomes a tempter in your life. They call you. These things can be solved. Let us pray. Don't. After a while, you, 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 that is, you abandon the brethren. You follow the woman. Jesus will leave you. He's waiting. You are still his own. Because occasionally you will pray. Say, God, in Jesus' name, recognize this union. Jesus said, you are not married. And he said, I know. Just recognize it. You love him, you think. Like um, Jim Baker said, you don't fear him. But you know the truth? You are still his own. No, you've not lost any salvation, which makes it dangerous for you. Then your friends call you, say, let us change figures and make money from government. Your pastor says, don't do like that. You say, I will pay a tithe. You bring the tithe to church. Let me just tell you something. After, now, if you are like that, remember Paul, you can't preach to anybody. You won't stand before any proconsul. You will not stand before Peter and be arguing doctrine. You will just be, all you'll be doing all your life is making money and spending money. And after some time, listen to what I'm saying. He will decide, because this is what he does. First year, he comes looking for what? Fruit. Second year, he comes looking for fruit. The third year, he doesn't find fruit. He tells the husbandman, the keeper of the vineyard, Let, let's cut him down. That one will say, please, please, give us one more year. Next year he comes, no fruit. You know what he does? Cuts you down. He said, any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, 
is removed. He said, why is he still wasting nutrients? I hope you're getting my point. If you're a believer, you know I said something to your daddy, let me say it again. That change, that repentance we are talking about, you don't have forever. Don't say after the next election. You know, when is the next election? 2023. Okay, let's even assume it's a do election. Or undo election. It's later on this year. Holy Spirit comes and says, oh boy, oh girl, this is enough. You can't continue like this. You can't be among those who change figures, who bribe judges. I won't take that from you anymore. This every day, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm willing to forgive, but you are too useless to me. You are supposed to be my missionary. Now you are the one we are praying for every day. Listen, many people will not do something. The Lord have heard. You know, APC people, they depend on me to settle the next election. In my area, maybe a do state or on do state. So I'm not saying, okay, maybe it's PDP. Okay, give me one party that's not going to win that election. <laughs> if I call their name now, they will say I prophesied against them. The man of God said, okay, let's just call the place American Republican Party in Edo State. Have you? Okay. So the American Republican Party of Edo State will not win that election. So let's just do that one. So let's say American Republican Party of Edo State is, is banking on me to help them get that thing done. Say, Lord, election is in October. By November, I will repent permanently. If you live to see that election, that means Jesus has given up on you. Listen to me. If he leaves you and you survive, he has, he has written you off. I keep on quoting what Ken Hagin said to us. He said, God said to him, if I don't correct you, you will not live beyond the age of 55. And at that point in time, the guy was telling something. What is determining what you will be at the age of 70 is not what you do at the age of 60. It's now, when you are 30 something, when you are 40, when you are 25. What am I going to say? For each change that he demands of you, he has given a cut off date. Don't forget, we'll talk to the other day, I don't want to go over it again. He has given it a cut off date. He has, once that date crosses, he said, forget him. And you may say that, okay, I will change after. Let me just tell you something. If Jesus says, forget it, there's no spirit of change left for you. So believers, let's understand something. We have to be serious. I don't want to preach that message again, okay? But where I began that from is those who say that uh, once you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. If you really gave your life to Christ and you left it with him, you won't lose it. I'm, I'm convinced of that. But don't, because of that, go and sell him for 12 pieces of silver. You will lose it. If you collect your life back from him and say serving him is not worth it, he will let you go. He will let you go. And unrepented, that is, if you are not repentant, if you are not changing, improving, we'll talk about that today. You stand two risks in life. I mentioned one. But then you can become, your heart can become hardened by sin. That you will deny your Lord not even realizing you have done it. And if you do that, you have lost the salvation. Anybody telling that you haven't lost it did not read this Bible complete. Hebrews chapter, um, chapter five, uh, chapter six, sorry. 
He said, therefore, verse 1. Therefore, living... Okay, I said we should open to you earlier, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Hebrews chapter 6. He said, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. Now listen to verse 4. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, now they were enlightened, so don't tell me they were not believers. They tasted of the heavenly gift, that is Jesus Christ, I hope you understand that. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. That's what I, that's what I want to stop. That is, it's possible to, be, to once receive Christ Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, operate the power of God, and still fall away. Is that not possible? Yes, sir. I don't want to even discuss further here. When it says that it is impossible, he says, which verse was I in? Six. He says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now let me stop reading here. There are two categories of people here that I want to just bring out. One, the first category, are those people that tasted of the, that is, let me just summarize like this. They really gave their life to Christ. Then they still fell away. Those ones, you know my understanding? They can be renewed to repentance. Yes, they can be. The ones that he said cannot be are those that God has showed everything to. Did you notice it? They tasted of the heavenly gift. That's Jesus Christ. They were made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They saw the power of God. He said, and they tasted the good word of God. It's not as if there's some word of God that is bad. It's just that, you know, Apollos was, was preaching. Priscilla and Aquila called him aside. And the Bible said he was expounding the word of God accurately. Then they took him aside and showed him the word more accurately. That is, there's what is called the good word of God, which is beyond the common word. Do you get my point? It's not the sincere milk of the word. There's the good word of God that this fellow has had known enough to be able to partake in the hard things of the spirit. He said, if that fellow crosses that point, and for whatever reason, still falls away, he's on his own. The Holy Spirit will not pursue him again. He's going to leave him. And please, if you want a real story of it, read Triumphant Church by Kennedy Hagen. This woman was a pastor's wife. Sang very well. And somewhere along the line, the, Holy Spirit, the evil spirit managed to convince her that she's very beautiful. I really said the woman was very beautiful. And she was a talented singer. So they made her listen to those two you know, points about herself, those evil spirits. And they said... Following Christ Jesus has cheated you of fame, of material success. Think about it now. You could be another, give me one famous, it could be another Beyonce. Beyonce is finer than you, you are finer than Beyonce. 
You could be another, what is this woman I saw one day looking like a scarecrow? Selling Dion. Dion, thank you. You could be another selling Dion. You know? No, the day I saw her picture, I almost fell down. He was bad. So they said to her, you could be another selling Dion. And after a while, she believed it. Left her husband. As I pursuing her worldly career. I don't know how much of it she made. Then, anyway, the brethren reached out to her. Then one day she walked to church and told them to go away that she's tired of the Lord Jesus Christ. She doesn't want him anymore. And Jesus said in that vision that up to that point, I would have taken her back any time. He said, but after that, there's no way back. And in the vision, Kenhagen said he saw her tumble into eternal darkness. I'm not saying what I'm saying because of that vision. I don't, you know me enough that I don't build my doctrines on visions. I build my doctrine on the word of God. People say your name can never be erased from the book of life. I say, then why did Jesus say, I will not erase it? You think Jesus is a joker, doesn't speak English? His language is bad. In heaven, they are confused. Jesus said, make these corrections and I will not erase your name. I've had it said to me before that Jesus was trying to say that he does not erase people's names. I said, excuse me, we don't speak on base 10. Me and you, you speak on one base, I speak on another base. Please, anybody wants to disagree. This is one scripture I've never seen anybody able to go around. You know, there's a way they wangle everything around you. When it gets everybody gets stuck. One day my wife was in a chat group. People, somebody, so she dropped this scripture for the person. The person said, no, I don't want to be showing off as if I know too much. My wife said, don't worry, we won't be offended. Go ahead, show it off. Explain, you are saying you can, nobody can ever lose their salvation. Then explain to me the meaning of this verse. Second Peter chapter 2. There's no point standing on the fence. Let's get this in out clear. If you don't want to listen to me after this. Listen, I'm not, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to scare anybody. Do you get my point? But let's stop giving people false confidence. And then the people that you're supposed to even walk on and pray for, you won't because you assume that, don't worry, we will see in heaven. Listen, continually walking in sin hardens people's hearts. It can harden their hearts so much they will deny their Lord. Never forget that. Second Peter chapter 2. It was describing how hardened people can be. How sinful. Please, you can try and read the whole chapter. Talking about the effects of false teachers. He now went ahead and got down to verse... Um, I want to pick it from somewhere. But let's just start from verse 17. He said, these are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. For whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice. Now notice this. These false teachers. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Those, now follow this. Those who barely escape from the one, from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now notice this, verse 20. 
For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if after this they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Notice verse 21. For it will have been better, he said, it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed unto them. Now, are you getting what I'm saying here? He's describing people that they escape from sin. Then people entice them back into it. And they became overcome by the, let me just use the word, by the world. Peter is saying that for such people, it would have been better that they never escaped in the first place. Which brings one question to mind. If right now, do you understand? They are saved and they are safe. Why would you say it would have been better if they never knew the way of righteousness? What does that tell you? Because it made it clear that their former state, that their last state is worse than the former. He said it would have been better if those people never knew Jesus Christ. How can you tell me it would be better they never knew Jesus? If right now they have an assurance of going to heaven. I don't know whether you are catching my logic. Listen, please, nobody should preach some doctrines that are not founded or they are found in half of the the scriptures. No, they shouldn't preach it. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. (laughs) No, that's verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because I've heard people say before that no God is faithful, does not require your own faithfulness. Hey, wait. Paul said it to us clearly. If you deny him, he will deny you. Let me just, you know, I like one thing Paul said because I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews. I like one thing he said. I am convinced of better things concerning you. Somebody say amen. amen. Yes. Paul said, I've looked at the way you are living your life. It's not you I'm talking to. He said, I see the way you raise with the brethren. He said, God is not unjust so as to forget your labor of love, the love you have shown towards his name, in that you, you, you minister to the saints and still do minister. What was he saying? The communion of saints matter to you. Your life is still with Christ. That's what he was saying. And I can tell you at that time, two things. The seed of God does in you. One, he attracts you to the word. You start sucking on the milk of heaven, the breast of heaven, taking in the sincere milk of the word. And two, you start rejoicing when they say, let us go to the house of the Lord. Those two things, once they are with you, you are safe. Do you get my point? That's what Paul was saying. He said, we are convinced of better things concerning you when it comes to salvation. Why? Because we have seen your love for the brethren. We have seen how the communion of saints matter to you. It's not you we are talking about. Those we are talking about, they have abandoned us. They don't love the brethren. It's one of the signs you will find. The communion of saints don't matter to them. They rather go and watch football rather than go to where brethren are gathered. They always have one excuse not to come to church. Not to come for the study of the word. Stories, stories, always one story. They are too comfortable, separated from brethren. Paul said, I'm convinced of better things concerning you. 
Now, please, I just wanted to, I don't know how I got into that, but I wanted to make that one clear to us. Let us give our lives to Christ and live the lives with him. If your life is with Christ and you really love him, if even though you are not perfect, that's why I began that, salvation and perfection are not the same thing. However, now that will help me get to my message for today. The aim of salvation is perfection. Salvation and perfection, they are not the same thing. But the aim of salvation is perfection. You know, I said we should read somewhere, right? Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read it so I don't commit the the thing I commit a lot of times. We will talk to the end and we will not read the thing we said we wanted to read. Let me just say something quickly as we're opening this. As a believer in Christ Jesus, eh? just don't hold to one doctrine to exclude all others. What I mean, there are people who say that Pastor Banky does not believe in one save, always save. They won't believe, listen to anything I say again. You know that? They won't listen to anything. Listen to me, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Are you getting my point? Yes. Just take the scriptures and keep listening to it. Okay, I'll keep reading it. Keep listening to the word of God. Don't divide the church into those who believe in one saved, always saved, and those who don't. It's an unnecessary division. It's a doctrine we just disagree on. Like I said at the beginning, what's the spirit? That's my own emphasis. My own emphasis is that instead of us arguing on, if I die, will I be buried? Let's argue on, do we want to die or we don't want to die? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Let's have a positive argument. Let's have a positive, you know, there's something I used to tell Brendan in those days. Like, when that crisis, not really a serious crisis, just that uh, that funny fellow in Lagos, who I said had the wrong spirit, even though his letters were accurate, when he brought up the issue of tithing all over Nigeria. So I had to go on radio and talk about it. And on radio, I refused to take any side, really. The only thing I categorically disagreed with everybody on clearly is on this simple, you know, but too deep. Oh, no, this simple, but very grand in its ramifications, this statement that if you don't tithe, you go to hell. I had to disagree with that one. That if anybody tells you that, don't believe it. It's not true. Have you heard that thing before? People say that non titers are thieves and robbers, so they are going to hellfire. I said, if it's like that, they are come, James didn't know about it. John did not know about it. Paul did not know about it. And Peter did not know about it. And we are looking for one or two scriptures. That Hebrews one will be hiding. Hebrews chapter 7. Was he talking? The, the, the poor writer was telling a story of what happened. They said, no, he's saying that Jesus is waiting in heaven to collect your tithes. That thing is not true also. <laughs> I said, come on, let's not get into that extreme. However, there's a spirit behind every law. So whether you believe in calculating 10% or you don't, one thing we can all agree on is this. Every Christian must be a generous giver. That's one point. Another thing we can all agree on is that the word of God, the preaching of the word of God must be sponsored by us, not by Alekodangote. We can all agree on that. We can all agree that our local churches, our ministers, they need money. It is not right for a minister to be focused on preaching the word of God, 
You carry your family, go abroad for a holiday, and he's struggling to pay his children's school fees, and he's your pastor. If God was not even sending Christians to hellfire, we should borrow you for hell for five minutes. Because your wickedness is intense. <laughs> Do you follow my point? You are in a church. The pastors are there. Periodically, you see them on the road, jacking their, you know, they are, they are there calling, Ude, Ude, where are you? My car just stopped. And you say, oh, pastor, okay, what do you need? You give him a leave, drop him somewhere. Ude goes to recover his car every day. Then you carry five children, your wife, and disappear to Dubai for, for, one, for three weeks. And your spirit is not talking, talking to you. God will not send you to hell, amen? But Satan will borrow you for help, for five, help him change, the, change his, uh, the gas for five minutes. Because you are too wicked. Those are things we can, I mean, I'm telling you. One of our brothers, I like what he does. He always harasses me about one particular project that we are involved in. It's a missions project. Because, you see, we have churches that we use the money that will complete that whole small meeting hall for people who are being reached, you know, serious mission work. There are churches that use it just to buy television screen. You know those screens that you see behind? They are not cheap. Oh, yes. So sometimes we behave very... No funny, believers. That was always asking me, so pastor, so what next, what next? I said, okay, I'll get back to you. Because it's not right. That's the right spirit. Are you getting my point? Yes. It's not right for us to be using such monies to buy. One day my friend called me from the USA bank. My pastor wants a full wall screen for our, for our church. He told me the amount. He said, I'm not giving them five couple. <laughs> no, he said, one dollar will not contribute. He said, I can't understand the logic. Sometimes we pastors, we do that. We churches. Meanwhile, there are churches that people are doing mission, evangelistic work, pushing out, and they don't have ordinary motorbike to move around the jungles. It's not right. We can all agree on those things. Are you getting my point? So Christians should be what? Generous. So now, back to where we began from. If you like, calculate 10%, and say, if I don't pay it, I will die. Just when you finish doing it, do more. Amen. Because 10% won't get us anywhere. The amount of work God has, 10% cannot get us anywhere. I'm not talking about kingdom world ministry, so I'm talking about the body of Christ put together. If all the work of God gets from us is 10% of our income, we're not getting anywhere. We won't. We won't go anywhere. So, back to what I'm trying to say. So let's get the spirit. The spirit is what? Generosity. So I said that day on radio, some will calculate 10%. Some say no. I'm free in Christ. I must not go submit to legalism. But you see, I don't like hoodlums hiding behind things like that. You know what they call hoodlums? People who will never give anything and say the Bible is tight. The Bible, <laughs> do you understand? <laughs> we agree with you, but please let us see your generous spirit. If you don't have a generous spirit and we are arguing or we shouldn't tight, then you're wrong. You are very wrong. In fact, we must tight. Amen. Because of people like you. If you ever want to have that argument on any, with anybody, first sit down there, let's contribute money for a mission project. They will not be discussed. People who eat, they, they built a house, they have savings that will carry their children for the next, till they finish master's program. Yet yeah, they cannot show you one major. Listen to me. People say you can't borrow to give. I hope that thing is a lie. Am I saying you borrow to give? No. But if you have ever borrowed to do anything in your life, then you must borrow to give. 
Okay, if you have ever borrowed to, you know, pay school fees for yourself, then pay the person back later. Or one bank is financing your car. Or you went to a federal mortgage bank and you took a loan that you are paying for 20 years. And you are telling me you can't borrow to give. You know, I will loan you to Satan in Hellfire for six minutes. Help him go and change gas. I hope you are getting my point. In this life, we borrow to do things that are important. In the same manner, if giving is important to us, we can borrow to do it. That's what I'm just trying to say. I'm not saying we should be borrowing anyhow. I'm just saying that what you can use to serve yourself, you should be able to use it also to serve the gospel. You should be able to use it also to serve other people. I went to somewhere one day. There's a church was doing something. They were having issues somewhere. I just looked at the man in charge. I said, my brother, this money, he says he's willing to, he wants to borrow it from, he borrowed it for from a bank. I said, can you approach him again to give you the money and I will pay the loan? I said, the reason is that right now, I don't have money. It was a church. They were doing some construction in their building. So we had that discussion. I said, my brother, I really want to help. But right now, I won't lie to you. I don't have money. But this is what will cost you guys to do this. If you guys can handle half of it, I will handle the other half. But it will take me four months to pay. Is that okay? As if a bank will finance it, don't worry. The half of that loan is my burden. I give you a guarantee, I will pay it. I didn't have it. I did not have it. But I've checked it. I can pay it. If it was a car you gave me that day, I will pay for it. It just won't be on the spot. Do you get my point? I also beg somebody, please, help me pay. I will repay you. The car I'm driving till now, when we bought it that time, I paid for that car for 12 months. Every month. Every month. Because a, a finance group paid for it, and the interest rate was low. And I paid regularly until I finished paying. If I can do that for a car for myself, why can't I do it for the work of the ministry? So I told my brother that day, I said, please, my brother. Eventually, I still send the money. I don't know where I took the loan, but just give me time. Every time I'll send you this, I'll send you guys this, I'll be sent. Eventually, I'll finish pay. The Lord is good, though. How did we get into money matter? I think the Holy Spirit wanted us to clarify something. Yes. Look, each person, if you are listening to me, just exercise yourself in this thing I've said. Just the next year, look for one mission project somewhere. I say, I want to do it for 12 months. This one that we're always giving from change. It's why, not, it's why progress is not, it's hard. Because when we do that, it's not only money we are giving. We are giving of our spirit. And that's why God is not, is not looking for one rich man somewhere to come and sponsor the gospel. He said, I want my people to contribute their spirit into what is going on. Just take it. Say, look, you know, because for me, is that, okay, if God gives it, makes it possible for you, you go look for some people who are doing rural ministry. You bought a car two years ago, you're still driving it, but you're finished paying. Okay? So tell yourself, the way I struggle to pay for this car over 18 months, for the next 18 months, let me pay for two motorbikes for these people. It's good practice. Do you get what I'm saying? Say two motorbikes, or three, or four. That's what they used to move around. 
once I met a man who was mission, uh, uh, doing missions in West Africa. He said he met one German man. The man came to, I think, Ghana or somewhere. And one of these West African countries. So he met the, um, the missionaries. The people who go to the rural areas to preach. So he found out that these guys trek or they ride bicycles. So you see one pastor, he covers like 10 villages. I don't know whether you're getting it. He covers 10 villages, one pastor. So go here, he'll preach, you know, baptize, you know, minister to the sick, go to the next village. So he either walks or he rides a bicycle. So he asks them, what is the greatest way, what's the thing they need the, the most that he can help them with? Then they say, well, what to make their work much easier is if they just have motorcycles instead of having to walk or bicycles. The man went back to, to Germany. He wasn't rich. He sold his car, the only car he had. Sold his car, brought the money, they converted it back to the West African currency. Most of our, these are bikes are Chinese bikes. He bought them 10. And went back home to start doing the trekking. <laughs> he stopped 10 missionaries from trekking or riding bicycles. Then he went back home to go and start trekking. So, now nah, I'm the only one trekking. Only I have buses. He wasn't a rich person. He had to sell the only car he had to fund that thing. So in fact, just to make, it, make you laugh, the pastor telling me the story, he's a Nigerian missionary. He said, the guy smokes. He said, somebody now told him that God will send him to Israel before because he smoked. He said, warn yourself. <laughs> he said, what? And he and God will drag the matter. Send this guy to because of smoke? If I give me his lungs, there's no problem. <laughs> the Lord is good. Let me try and stick with my message. I hope you have been blessed anyway. I hope you have been instructed. I hope you have been corrected. That's the aim. So, I really wanted to sit on this one today, but we're not... Um, well, I'm going to preach till I'm tired today. So, I'm telling you the truth. I have Pastor Delvin's anointing right now. I'm Bilea Kone. Anybody telling me I preach for long, I will send you to... Where's the name of Bilea Kone? Boko. You will go to Boko for one week. Then when you come back, you respect my short preaching. Pastor Bilea will keep you sitting down for five hours. So, Pastor Bank is very nice. I'm growing. When I become his age, I will do that to you too. Amen? <laughs> so let's get to this message, all right? So, now when I began, I was understanding the issue of the spirit behind stuff so that we shouldn't be arguing over letters. There's a reason why I began with that because my plan, which I've had for some time, was that today, I tried it last time, it didn't work, I will explain the issue of progressive sanctification. Now, during this, um, that's over the last, that's yesterday actually. Yeah, yesterday actually. There's a book I have in my house. I've had it for some time. Somebody gave it to me. And I picked it and said, this book is still shining new. So let me read it. So I began to read. They, when I got to a particular point, I, I got to a particular point in the book. And the man made a statement. And I want to address it so as to help us get the spirit of what we're teaching correctly. I'm not trying to disagree with him. You don't even know the book. You don't know the name of the fellow. But it's something you will hear here and there. The man said the doctrine of progressive sanctification is not scriptural. And he gave a lot of scriptures to show that we were sanctified when we were born again. Yes, he gave, I'm trying to, I, I, I captured um, 
that page so I can refer to it when I'm preaching. And really, he, he said it clearly. He said, progressive sanctification is not a biblical principle. What is his reason? Paul said, for he that is dead is freed from sin. He said, this is emphatic past tense. According to him, it occurs in new birth in which the spirit is given. The heart is circumcised and the body of sins of the flesh is put off. Quoting from Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. He's now said, listen to this. It is then our choice to walk away, to walk in it. The body of sin is destroyed. It is not being destroyed. As Egypt was the type of the world, the baptism through the Red Sea separated God's people from it. Which I ask you a simple question. Did it take them into the promised land? I'm asking you. Baptism through the Red Sea, did it take them into the promised land? I will not read further. Now, he said many other things. But I just felt that because you come across things like this. So let's, now first, I respect the opinion. I, I read things like this a lot those days. But I feel like we should just address it again. Paul wrote this, was quoting a lot from Romans and from the book of Colossians. And these are letters that Paul wrote. But you say, but Pastor Banke, you said there is progressive sanctification. And my answer is, yes, I said so. And I still stand by it. And I will explain. First of all, I said at the beginning, salvation is in three dimensions, right? So everything this man has described is what I call new birth. And I said it, of course. That is the time in which we are what? Justified. That's the time we are declared righteous. That is the time we are reconciled to the Father. That is the time. However, what we have is the seed of God. It's not mature. It's not fully developed. And anybody who has been a Christian for a while will know that as a matter of fact. And if you read the Bible, you will also know it's written all over the scriptures. And just like we have these few scriptures, I want to read a few also to bring out a few points. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, why I began at the beginning talking about the spirit? Actually, this was the reason why I began it. Sometimes we Christians get carried away by letters. We don't get the spirit behind it. They will not get into unnecessary disagreements. Everything this man has said, I agree with you totally. There's only one place where we disagree. The choice of words. And it's not a big deal. Because if I don't know the man personally, but if I were to meet him personally, I would ask him a question. Sir, do you believe that Christians must increase in their attributes of godliness? The answer must be yes. Because Peter said, if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. I said, that's what I'm talking about. The increase of those qualities. I said, perfection and salvation, they are not the same things. Perfection and salvation don't mean the same. However, the aim of salvation is what? So, I'm not perfect now. I am becoming perfect. Nobody can deny that. That is what other people, which I've joined in using that expression, call progressive sanctification. Actually, I use the terminology progressive because some people use the terminology simply sanctification. And I realize that if you use it, you are going to cause confusion. 
They will say you are being that sanctification is an ongoing process. Let me help us with words again. As many words, just like salvation. Just like we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Sanctification is also like that. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification simply means to be set apart. It simply means to be set apart. But also means to be washed. So if you take the set apart, as soon as you give your life to Christ, you are set apart from the world unto whom? Unto Christ. That's one side. It also means to be washed. The question is that, are you totally washed clean now? The answer is obviously no. Because the same people who preached that to us said, cleanse yourself of all defilement of flesh and spirit. What does that tell you? Christians can have defiled flesh. They can have defiled spirit. It's a perfect holiness in the fear of God. Which means that right now, holiness is not what? Perfected. And what does sanctification mean? Another word, to make holy. So if Paul says to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, that you should perfect holiness, what does that tell you? He's saying that continue the process of sanctification. Because the word sanctify, the other word is make holy, the other phrase. To make holy means to sanctify. So we are set apart from Christ because the seed of God is in us. We get our certificate of righteousness at the beginning. God now says, now go out and go and work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Which means, do what is right to cleanse every entanglement that the world may still have in you. Because it still happens. We'll see scriptures to show us that. So, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read this. Let me just start from verse 22. No, verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now notice this, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she will be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But please notice the next words. But nourishes continuous process and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. And we are members of his, of his body. Now, notice something here. You see that Paul made it clear to us here that there is a continual process that is going on. That Christ nourishes and cherishes the body. And what is he doing? He said that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, that having cleansed, it may appear past tense, but no, it's not past tense. He was giving you the aim that we get to a point where I will have fully cleansed her. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. It's a continual process. It is going on all the time. Let's see what Paul said also in the book of Galatians. This one is just for me. It just makes it so clear. So there's no need to disagree. I just wanted to get this clear because you, you get into you get in, um, read such things. It will appear as if there is disagreement. No, there is no disagreement. 
He said in verse 19, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And did you notice that? Are these Christians or they are not Christians? Is it a church of believers or a church of Muslims? They are believers in Christ Jesus. And he said, I'm in birth again. I'm pushing forth in labor again until Christ is formed in you. What does that tell you? Was Christ formed in them at that particular point in time? No, there's no catch to it. Yes or no? Please answer me like you're here. That is what we call progressive sanctification. It does not change the fact that you were set apart at the beginning. That is what you can call sanctification past. That is the one that happened at salvation. That is just a matter of, oh boy, oh girl, you're no longer in the world, you're now in whom? In Christ. So you say you have been set apart. But has Christ been formed in you yet is the question. No. That's why I said the aim of salvation is what? Is what? Perfection. Is the aim. It is where salvation is going to that it has not yet reached. It is the aim. And my message for believers is that you must work on it. There's something I've been, you know, of course, we will read it again. How many of us believe that Peter understood these things? Peter, Peter, Peter of Jesus Christ. You believe you understood it? He was now a foundational apostle. He gave us the word of God. Let's see what Peter said in Acts chapter 8. We are going to read the story of Simon. In verse 9, now of course from verse 4, from verse 5, the Bible says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Now in verse 9 we see, now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women. Even Simon himself, what? Even Simon himself, what? Say it loud. And he was what? Baptized. And he continued on with Philip. He was baptized, continued in Philip, and as he observed signs and great wonders taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, I want to digress again before I get back to my message. And you know where my digression is going. Are you not suspecting me? Magic. What did I say? Magic. You know, recently, I stumbled into some videos. Now, I know of magic before. But I stumbled into some videos recently on America's God Talent. And they had this show for magicians. With all the knowledge of life I know, 
I watch some of them in slow motion. I will watch this thing in slow motion. That no, there must be a trick. I'm not saying I must know the trick, but at least I must know the possibility. There's one guy I told my wife, I said, This one is not a trick, he's not using tricks, he's a magician. The guy will light fire, boom, and he turned to a bird. A real bird, and he put it in a cage. He light another fire. Now, whether the bird comes up his trouser, under his jacket, I don't know. I'm not here to talk about magic in itself, but to let you know that if Simon the Sorcerer was doing his magic in the year 2019 into 2020, which we are in now, we're in 2020 now, in Nigeria, he would have opened a church and called it, called himself, no, in the Simon. I know what I'm telling you. And he will put, no, the church of Simon, the sorcerer of Jesus Christ. He won't put the sorcerer. The great power of God. And you know what he will say? I'm the power. I'm the miracle. I'm your fighter. I'm your war. And people will give him attention. That's all I'm saying. Because sometimes when you tell people about false prophets, they'll be making you as if you are being arrogant. And you are being... Like, which word do I use now? This word where you can't judge anything again before they say you are, you'll give you a name. They will tell you you are being judgmental. They will give you all kinds of names. A Simon arose today he will open a church in this southern Nigeria that we are in. And every Sunday, the place will be full. And he will be doing what? Magic. He will be doing magic. And there are so many magicians today. There's one small boy like that in Enugu. And one of the ways you know them, please... I have nothing against you if you're a genuine preacher, what I'm about to say, if it coincides with your name. They tend to have two, not Christian, Jewish, that's prophetic names, like Obadiah Hosea. <laughs> Please, that's, that's, a, that's an accidental coincidence if, if, you, if your name is Obadiah Hosea, especially if you're not a false prophet, you understand. It's very common. You see, my name is Ezekiah Isaiah, doctor. It's terrible. What is terrible is not that Simon the Sorcerer exists. It's that Christians will now be arguing with you. Because somebody called the name of Jesus. It's not, you know, there are footballers called Jesus, you know that? So when they are saying the name of Jesus, they are talking about the Brazilian footballer. You think they are talking about uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth? No. Bear it in mind. I just, I'm not going to teach in detail, but I just want to bear it in mind. That there are magicians today pretending to be prophets. Many times they have familiar spirits working with them. Remember that girl that got Paul and Silas into prison? If her handlers 
were in Nigeria of today, they will also open a church. They probably wear white garments. And the girl would be seeing visions. I heard the story of one man, his wife just died. So because the woman was ill for a while, the church just said, look, take a leave and go and rest. We'll handle everything. You just go, go and take, you know, just travel, rest. The woman just died. So they felt he needed some rest. So he traveled. Then one hotel where he was staying, he saw the advert, come for services. So being a, a Christian, he said, let me go for service. And when he got there, he saw a piano. It looked like a church. And one man came there and was playing. What was he playing? Well, there was a man and a woman. One was singing, one was playing. I don't know who was doing what. And what was he playing? Amazing Grace. And the other person was singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. You know? Oh, they were singing. So he sat there, but something was odd about the whole thing. After a while, the fellow playing disappeared, and the keyboard con- and the piano continued to play. Are you getting my point? The fellow playing vanished. But you could still see the keys, and the song was still going on. Then the man, I don't know whether it was one playing or the one singing, came up to him and said, your wife died 10 days ago. And the man said, certainly. You are from so and so and so city. He said, yes. He said, all right. Your wife is here with us tonight. And she has a message for you. And the man said, if you indeed knew my wife, yes, indeed, she died, she died 10 days ago. But she's not here. She's with the Lord Jesus Christ on the right hand of the Father in heaven. She can't be here. The man said, so you refuse our message? He said, I most certainly do. The man was controlled by spirit. He started again. Your wife died 10 days ago. And she's here with us this evening. And she has a message for you. The man said, sir, yes, my wife died 10 days ago. But I'm telling you, my wife was a believer in Christ Jesus. She can't be here tonight. She's with Jesus Christ in heaven. The man said, so you reject the message? He said, I most certainly do. The man went over the third time. And the man said, you didn't hear me. I said, my wife not day here. <laughs> and the man walked away. And he got up and walked out of here. He said, this is not a church. These are operators of familiar spirits. No many Christians will say, hey, Papa, prophesy. Prophesy, Papa. What did she say? Papa, 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 prophesy. What did she say? Hey, my father, you are too much. You are forensic. <laughs> You know, that is what a lot of Christians today will have done. They will now go home and tell their people, Ah, I talked to Honey yesterday. Where? And of course, they are familiar spirits. They will tell you things that only you know. That's why you don't have... Look, they are, let me tell you the truth. Most of these prophets you see around today, they are magicians. They operate familiar spirits. In our generation, church, in southern Nigeria especially, church is in vogue. So they open churches. They have services. That man went for a service. That was why he went there. He, you know, he was alone. He was in a hotel. He said, ah, let me just go and fellowship with brethren. 
He entered the place. The place looked a bit odd. He said, well, not everybody will be like my own church. He saw a piano there, oh, and they started playing Amazing Grace. Don't be fooled. In the last days, Jesus said something. If it was possible, even the elect would be deceived. So don't think these guys are joking. There was a man I used to watch on TV. My wife said, you're always watching this guy. I said, my, my sweetheart, I'm trying to decide. I watched him for days. I couldn't place him. It took somebody else to say me something to me before I finally placed him. He looked so convincing. The only thing that just worried me about him is this. Anytime I see a man, they are hailing to manifest. The guy is using a familiar spirit. It's all these people that just go around. Hey, Papa, prophesy. Prophesy, Papa, prophesy. Hey, Papa, my father. See power. The other line, or they are using familiar spirits. The true Holy Spirit will be grieved. The true Holy Spirit will be grieved. If you watch men like Kenneth Hagin, Benny Hinn, and co-minister, they will tell you to shut up. If Kenneth Hagin is missing, you can't clap. If sometimes genuine churches, people are ministering, some people start clapping, not Kenneth Hagin. Once he wants to start ministry, he said, I'm not entertaining you. So what is clap for? You clap in response to being entertained. You don't clap when Kenny Higgins is ministering. He said, you are grieving the spirit. Benny Higgins wants utter silence. He took that from um, Catherine Kuhlman. Utter silence. Everybody be quiet. And I see prophets, they say, hey, father, baba me, yeah, power. Look at it, power. Amen. In the name of the... You just say, I just said, these are fake people. Genuine people can't tolerate such. They can't. You're disturbing their equilibrium. I've, I've, I've listened to a message before. I didn't watch the video. It was audio. Kennedy is preaching. He's praying. After I said, stop. Everybody stop. Nobody's clapping. Nobody's saying anything. He just everybody, please, I need to stop doing that. What are they doing? He says, so, too many people are pulling on me. They want me to give them a word. I can't give a word to everybody. And they are quiet. Oh. He said, I feel their spirits pulling. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. Just relax. Worship God. Let the Holy Spirit minister to whoever he wants to minister to. <laughs> but you see, this is what do you see? People clapping. Hey, Father. My father. Prophesy, Papa. Papa, prophesy. And now I started these stories. There's one thing they say all the time, and I want to listen. Fake people, that's it. Do I know you before? Did you talk to me? Did you exchange phone number? Say, my friend, go and sit down. Show. Please tell your people, your friends, yourself, you don't need anybody to. The power of God is not show. I don't know the word they tell you. Who is doing you? You know, like say, who is doing this to me? That's the only thing they can tell you. That's what you came, them to, came there to hear anyway. One of the ways you know they are false is that they never draw you closer to God in righteousness. They never do. They never do. You know, I said that's a digression, right? Yeah. So let's get back to Simon. So Simon himself believed. He was baptized. And he continued with Philip. 
These are signs of true faith, genuine faith. Now, verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any one of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they began laying their hands on them and were receiving the Holy Spirit, he said, then they began. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, the man who had believed, who had been baptized. He offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Please, this man believed. According to the testimony of scripture by Luke, this man believed. He continued with Philip. He renounced his magic, obviously. But Peter looked at him and said, your silver perished with you. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He said to him, verse 22, therefore, repent of this wickedness. The man has believed. There's this particular wickedness he needed to repent of. And pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. The man had an intention in the heart which was not obvious to anybody else watching. For I see, now this is what the problem is. Peter said, I can see it. I look beyond the physical. I look into your heart, what do I see? A man still in the gall of bitterness. And in the bondage of iniquity. Therefore, you know, someone answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. That is, let my money not perish and me perish with it. For me, this last statement is proof that this man really gave his life to Christ. Those who have really given their life to Christ. This is what sin, conviction of sin does to them. Did he do what was wrong? Yes. Did he do what from a wrong heart? Yes. Was he a Christian? Yes. He had believed. Will he have lost his salvation because of this? No. No. Even if his money perished and he died with the money? No. Because this was a genuine believer. He had not denied his Lord. And that was why when he was rebuked, instantly, like David, he repented. He said, go and pray. He said, pray, I can't. You guys, please pray for me. Because the man truly believed. Why I like this story, which is why I'm tying it to the two we read, Ephesians chapter 5, that Jesus is washing us with the washing of water, with the word, and the fact that Paul said, my little children of whom I am in birth again, all right, in labor, until Christ is formed in you. And then this one, Simon believed, the seed of God. Jesus said to him also, 
not literally, but we know, received the Holy Spirit. The seed of God was in Simon. It's just that he didn't know. Many people believe, and many things have not left their lives. I said something the other time that when people see dramatic changes after giving their life to Christ, a number of things account for it. For those changes. Number one is miracles. The miraculous power of God. Not the normal way God does things. It's not the seed of God growing in them. It is the miraculous power of God that just happened. And I give an example of a man who tried Merlin Caruthers. And what happened? The power of God happened and the man couldn't smoke again, even though he had not believed. That same power that could work in the life of an, in the life of an unbeliever. It worked on this man also. I remember when I read the book, Authority of the Believer, those days. Man, we saw, we saw things happen. A, man, a friend of mine was blaspheming. I walked out of the place, rebuked the spirit, and came back inside. The man started preaching the latest message I had written down, and he was not born again. I couldn't believe my ears. Even me that. He was trying to mock, mock you know, church and all of that. And he began to say some things, and I was grieved. I just stepped onto the balcony. I just said, you blasphemy spirit in the name of Jesus. I command you to shut up. And I came back inside. Instantly, his message changed. And he was preaching an accurate doctrine, which I had written down. And we don't live in the same house. Miracles happen. I had a family quiet for over two weeks. They were quarreling all the time. But it happened that back at home, you know the way it is. Sometimes a house can be very close to the fence. So our house is very close to our fence, and their own is also close to that same fence. But what was our own back fence, their own house also close there. And this man married two wives. See, quarrel. The children of the older wife and the young wife. Now, not the children of the young wife now. The children of the older wife and the man's young wife, they were at loggerheads all the time. And they chose the room where I like to stay and rest. 89. Surprise. We are home for a long time. A bit, no, maybe not. But around that period was the time we read believers' authority. You are there in the afternoon trying to sleep. They are fighting. You can't have peace. The fence was not high enough to shield their noise away. What will I do? I read believers' authority. I said, ah, problem solved. I stood and I faced the house. And I commanded them to shut up. And they, their mouths were shut for the next two weeks until I went back to school. Not, no, I'm not lying to you. Not one, not. They will be wondering what peace came upon their home. They won't know that one man of God next door wants to sleep. Miracles happen. So sometimes, this same miraculous power can transform a Christian. Somebody who just gave life to Christ overnight. So they will now come and say, the moment I gave my life to Christ, my life was not the same again. And somebody else is wondering, why is my life still the same? Or the fellow whose life is not the same again. Do you know, I was watching one man on TV yesterday. My wife and I were watching, it's supernatural. Sidroth. So I was watching one particular man who was interviewing. The man described how God changed him dramatically after he gave his life to Christ. But that, do you know the anger he had a short fuse, easy to get angry. 
and not small anger, destroy things. He says, as a little boy, you know, sometimes, please learn to flog your children so you can flog anger out of them when they are still practicing it. Are you getting my point? That you know, you practice on my become good. He says, as a little boy, when he's angry, he will bang his head on the floor until he's bruised. I said, Oh, yeah, Papa. Because God blessed me in that area. I will make you hit the floor by the time I'm done with you. But they didn't do that to him. He grew up with a spirit of anger. Why am I talking about it? It did not leave him. He gave his life to Christ. It did not go. He said, I was watching this yesterday, that he had to learn to use the word of God to control his spirit. He said, till now, the man was being honest. He said, till now, if I stray away from the word, anger takes hold of me again. He said, till today. If I stray, so that it's one thing I keep down only by being actively devoted to the word of God. Yet, in other areas of his life, he was dramatically changed. The process of changing all of us in different areas of life is what we call progressive sanctification. Nobody is saying you were not sanctified the day you were born again. But were you totally changed? We have seen from scriptures, no. What happened to Simon? Peter said, I see that you are still, you are in the gall of bitterness. And what? The bondage of iniquity. Hey, a Christian. You know, those of us who don't understand this, they will say, no, he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is not a lie. Peter was aware of it. What if you had said that to Simon two weeks before, before he gave his life to Christ? If you had said that, what Peter said to him, your money perish with you. He will try and vanish you into thin air. He was a magician. You understand my point? If he really was doing real magic, he will try and afflict you with his magic if you said that to him. But what is a sign that truly he had given his life to Christ? When Peter said that to him this time, he was, so to speak, on his knees in repentance and said, Sir, I am sorry. I did not know that Christianity, now please, I'm putting words to it now. I did not know that Christianity does not work like this. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Please pray for me. That this thing you have said will not happen to me. I am sorry. That's a sign that, the, to me, that confirms what the scripture says, that this man really believed. But while we're talking about it, the man that believed was still in what? Gall of bitterness and bondage of iniquity. And I want to explain something briefly about that gall of bitterness. I thought about it. What could that mean? Why will a man be in the gall of bitterness? You are bitter only once something has been done to you. Bitterness comes from experience. You're not born with bitterness. These days we talk, we hear a lot about child abuse, sexual abuse. Do you know, how many of you have heard this story that they try to sell to us, that homosexuality is genetic? Now, I'm not saying you believe it. If you have heard it, just wave your hand. All right, oh, most people here, thank you very much. Last week, BBC, I read other Wall Street Journal or BBC, I finally read a report that has been published scientifically. There's no scientific evidence for that. It has now been shown to be mostly environmental. Now, I'm not saying church. Oh. Now, we always knew it. Oh. We always knew it now. If they said the opposite, we still would not agree because we need the truth. But now, scientifically, it has been published. I read this not in the church bulletin, but either in Wall Street Journal, or BBC. 
that the scientific publication is now out that this is an environmental, there's what we call multifactorial disorder. But basically, they have said that most of the evidence shows that it's environmentally determined. All homosexuals are introduced as children, abused by adults. Pastor Devon calls an unclean spirit. It's abuse that starts it. There is nothing. Gen- the world has decided to mainstream it. Instead of saying this is sickness, they say no, it's not sickness. One man I read today now is suing a church in sorry, suing a hospital in the United States because they refused to help him remove his womb. Did you hear what I said? A man is suing a hospital because he did not agree to remove his womb because he's transgender. If you see his photo, you know, the guy looks like you, honestly. I'm telling you, I should show you his picture. No, look at how handsome a man this man is. This woman has changed herself. She looks exactly like a man. If I saw the picture, I wouldn't have guessed. She had even grown bald. Yes. You say, how possible? Let me just tell you. Just to teach you, you learn some more things. Baldness is a gene. It's genetic. But the gene depends on the effect of male sex hormones to manifest. So women have it as much as men. But because they don't have male hormones, it doesn't show. So they keep on growing this. They are, you know, this is their Brazilian hair. They'll be growing it all the time. <laughs> the hair is always plenty. No matter how old they are, it doesn't become like men's own. But the gene is there. So if you start giving a lot of androgens, the... She'll start growing bald. If she, if she has the genes. This, this woman obviously has the genes. So by the time they started firing her androgens, over years, she became bald. Yeah. Nothing spiritual. So this man of God is like, should we cast out a demon? No, it's nothing. <laughs> nothing spiritual. The woman is suing the husband. What do I call him, she, her, him, I don't know. Because the, the people say, look, we're a Catholic you know, organization. I, do, I don't want to bore you with the details. And they say it's against Catholic beliefs. This, and they are going to court. Of course, do I need to tell you ACLU is right behind him or her? What am I going to say? All of these things come from child abuse. Sometimes I have a video of a pediatrician. He said, a child cannot be transgender. That is not possible. Children get confused as to what's going on around. One day in my house, my, my brother's wife and children were with us. And we're taking pictures. And the girl took pictures first. Do you get my point? So, of course, you know the way girls take pictures? You see them here all the time. They even do one funny one. They do like this. I don't. The first time I saw it, I thought it was a joke. But then it's now... Even responsible women with, you know, grandmothers are still doing, I just like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you see all kinds of things. So the small girl, the, the, the girl took her pictures first. So normally, of course, you know the way girls do. She posed like this, posed like this, did all the, you know, guys are our own now. <laughs> so the girl did, all, so when they finished taking her pictures, that told the brother to come. You know what she did? What he did? 
Exactly. Small boy now. Say, okay, this is how they take pictures. He did it like this. <laughs> the mother said, my friend, will you stand straight? Do you think you're a girl? <laughs> Do you know what? In many countries in the world, if you film that thing, the woman will be in trouble. That the boy is trying to express himself. You know, this boy is not expressing anything. He's just copying his elder sister. So many people are copying because there's the, the video I have, a woman there says something. She, the pediatrician was telling me about. She said she had a patient once that started playing with girlish things. You know? When you tell a boy, say, no, I'm a girl. This boy was a little boy, maybe like three years of age or four. So the parents got worried, which they should, except they are in Sweden. Which they should, except they are in most parts of Europe. Right now, Israel, the whole of Israel, people of God, they are trying to wipe, make it a criminal offense to do psychological treatment for gay people. That if a young boy says he is gay, you can, psychologists have a way of trying to reason with him and treat him so that he can recognize the normal order of God. In Israel, the people of God, is, it has passed first level, three levels, I think it has passed first and second, going to the third level to make it a crime to do that. Moses says an abomination is a personal problem. Let me not, let me not get carried away. Abi, I should tell my message. Abi, otherwise, you know, say I go vex. I go provoke for this, my brethren, who cannot understand that the promise was to Abraham at, at his, and to his seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. Let's just leave that. And that seed is Christ Jesus. Now, this is what I'm making. The woman said, she now called the, of course, she sat down with the child and did a lot of interviewing the family and found out what happened. He was born, of course, the only child, first child. Then after a while, the mother had a second child, a girl. Unfortunately, this child was what they call a child with special needs. He had some birth defects. So the parents spent more time with this child because she needed more time. So this boy interpreted it as, my parents prefer a girl. He didn't realize that, no, it's not because she's a girl. It's because she's sick. So we need to give her more attention. I, if I remember, you know, this my these two boys you are seeing here now, you no, know, Akin and Benga, when Akin Lu was born, of course, initially it was the only boy in the house. Everybody carried their mama get second belly. They want the mama come born picking, come born this one. So one day I reached where they do. Akin Lu got there, say, put him down, carry me. <laughs> my wife will remember. It wasn't joking, no. Put him down. Carry me. You see, he was just two years old. He was used to being carried all the time. Then who is this little rascal that showed up from somewhere that came to take away my carrying position? Now the boy provoked. That day, the boy wasn't, he wasn't joking. He told the mother, put him down. He said, carry me, carry me. He said, carry me. The mother said, but I'm carrying your younger brother. He said, put him down. And as a parent, that's part of it. You have to start explaining. You know, oh, this is your younger brother. You, are, you and me, will ca- don't get angry. You and me, we carry him. Well, yeah, you carry him small, then I'll carry him. Then turn it to his thing. 
After a while, can I carry your brother small? He said, you don't you know, you are very strong. You are my boy. Will you carry him? Then let me carry this boy. You know he's very small. He can't carry himself. After a while, I start feeling proud. Like, I don't need carrying. I'm not carrying me. You don't need to carry me. That's how he treats handle kids. But this little boy felt that the parents don't love me anymore because they always wanted a girl. So if I want the attention, what do I do? I turn to a girl. So the girl, boy started saying, I'm a girl. And you know the truth? If you were in most parts of Europe, you keep saying that they will give him what they call puberty blockers. Let's not go into that. I'm talking about bitterness. So sometimes somebody gives his life to Christ, has been abused as a child, the problems don't go away overnight. Miracles sometimes occur. We've talked about that. Miracles sometimes occur. We are talking about it. But sometimes they don't occur. They don't. That's why we're talking about sanctification. In Simon's case, his sorceries ended. In Simon's case, he ended his trade. But the heart of childhood, in my mind, I just assume his father telling him that you're a good for nothing boy. Look at how your brothers, your sisters have done well. You can't do well. They give you a job, you can't do it. The father abused him every day. So he went out in life that I will prove my father wrong. Many people trying to succeed, they are in what? The goal of what? Bitterness. And as a result, that bitterness has created, you know, I'm sorry, you know there are girls that you can't talk to. They will fight you. Treating like a lady, they will turn into fight. Excuse me, ma, who's your ma? I'll be like a mama. You'll be wondering why. You know why? I'll tell you. Because some of them, their father was abusive. And they felt that as a woman, you have to learn to stand. These men are wicked. So she saw her father abuse her mother again and again physically. He would beat the woman and everything. She would be there crying. She and her siblings would be crying. And she grew up and said, Never. This will never happen to me. So if you want to show her you are a man, she will let you know. I might be a woman, but I'm as, I'm as strong as you are. You won't understand why she's so brash. Why she's so rash. She's so rough. She's letting you know that nobody will beat me in this life. If she now has body. Are you getting my point? That she has body a bit. You are now a boy in her class. People are in secondary school. SS2. You now shove her one day. She throws you out of the window. People won't understand her reaction. No, no, people will not understand her reaction. Especially when you are one of those boys in class that feel too tough. Feel like you are the senior boy. When they get on, they look, you say, you. I will humble you in this class before you begin to beat me. That's what they call the goal of what? Bitterness. You now find the bondage of iniquity. There are those who are pursuing money Money, morning, afternoon, and night, both men and women. Why? They were nights as young people, they went hungry. Maybe the father was not around, or the mother, something. I mean, there are stories like that. And hunger is terrible. Oh, and like they say in, 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 a, in a do state, hunger will get hope. No, they kill. I mean, it, 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 which part of Nigeria they say it? I heard it in a do anyway. Anyway, but you know the, the okay, let's just say Nigerian saying that hunger with hope, not the kill. 
But you know there's hunger without hope. Because yesterday there was hunger. And hunger is supposed to last 12 hours maximum. By the time it's lasting 48 hours, that's a hopeless hunger. So you see this guy, or this girl went through it over time in life. So they swore that no, it will never happen to me. It will never happen to my children. And you won't understand. You say that, why do you love money so much? He doesn't love money the way the average person loves money. Loves money because she has been hurt by hunger. She's bitter against hunger. Maybe one uncle, maybe the mother is a widow. And one uncle was maltreating the mother with sexual advances and all of that because of that. And she swore that in life, this will not happen again. So you see a man, a woman, morning, afternoon, and night, everything, money, money, money. And you're going to say that a man's life does not consist in what I possess. That's your problem. Hunger consists in what I don't possess. So this one you are saying. <laughs> that is what is called bitterness. My message, many Christians are still carrying it about till today. There are young women that, that marry, marry who? The concept of a man would give me instructions. Like, like they would rather die than have it. You don't know where it began from. This began from when she was eight years old. And she has sworn to God that it won't happen to me. Let me say something to you. Being born again does not remove it. It did not remove it from the life of Simon. Maybe Simon's case, the father said you will never amount to anything. So the boy learned magic. And controlled the crowds. And wanted his father to see. You said I won't amount to anything. Check it out now. Governors were coming to him. Check it out now. If it's today, he will never leave social media. He will never leave social media. Posting it one after the other. He wants the whole family to see. That little boy that you said won't amount to anything. Look at him now. You know I said the other time, when Jesus now collects you, he doesn't care about your problem. That's your problem. He wipes you away. He took Simon, removed his clout, removed his influence. Simon was down to zero. Then he had another opportunity. Before, we were using satanic power, occultic powers, tricks to get the crowd. Look at Peter. He's a Christian. They are listening to him. Look at John. He's a Christian. These guys have power. Uh-huh. What do we do? We collect the power. How do I get things? This is a fresh believer. We went there and said, okay, I'm not used to be a backbencher. Anything I do, I do it. Give me this power. Those ones say, wait. They wanted to talk about fasting, prayer, following Jesus for three years, waiting for the day of Pentecost. The guy said, is there no way around this thing? The guy opened bag. Let's use Nigeria modern day. Man of God. 10 million naira for you, 10 for the ministry. That was why he was trying to buy power. Peter looked at it and said, my guy, it doesn't work like this. Peter didn't even talk about the procedure alone. He talked about the reason. He said, this boy, this man, you are still in the goal of bitterness. That bitterness has squeezed you. Even though you are born again, iniquity has hold of you. 
is bitterness that led you to this trying to buy power. I've seen people before. I've seen people. When I was a house officer, when I was a, um, a core member, NYC days, my colleague that time, this boy, all he did was, of course, they found, found out that he was an abortion specialist in our local government there, in the barracks and all over town. When they were talking, he was a devout Catholic. You know to be a devout Catholic? They don't believe in abortion. Not to talk about being the one performing it. But he said to me one day, he said, one thing I fear the most in life is poverty. He said that to me. He said, what I fear most in this life is poverty. And I realized that that thing made him forget his Catholic upbringing. The first year of his life as a doctor, he never, he told me he never participated. But first year he went, he didn't make money. Second year now, after school, I'm talking about graduation now. He realized, ah, see money. Money is passing me by. The boy took his Catholic upbringing and threw it away. Why? I need money. I fear poverty more than I fear God. You know, I said something that believers, when you want to start, this, listen, let me tell you the truth. You, you shouldn't learn faith to use to get anything from God. Though. That's not the foundation of faith. The first faith you must learn is how to die. How to die to self. How to die to the world. How not to love anything that's in the world. Not trying to use faith to get it. That is a mistake a lot of us make. Jesus said, I have power to lay down. The first thing your faith must do is help you lay things down. Lay down that Jesus, if I would die poor, let me just die pleasing to you. If I would die hungry, let that hunger be in the service of you. If I'm going to drown in the ocean, let it be that we're on our way to where you sent us. Not that you said, go to Nineveh. I found myself on the way to Tashish. That is the first thing faith does for you. It doesn't claim a car for you. First thing faith does for you is to help you trek with joy and gladness. He said, oh, where I'm going? I'm going to walk this distance. Let me listen to a message while I'm moving. Let me not waste the time. The first thing faith does for you is to help you let go of the world. There's a song, you know, we talked about it before. It's a good song. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied. I'm sad. You must sing that song from the bottom of your heart. It is not true for us to say it is unbelief. I take the whole world and I take Jesus with it. It is nonsense. It's nonsense. The first thing faith does for you is to help you let go of the world. You hold on to Jesus. That must satisfy you. Otherwise, one day, you will displease the Lord with your choices. What is sanctification? Let me close. Sanctification is a everything. That's progressive sanctification. Every bitterness that's hiding. Every iniquity that's locking somewhere. Listen to me. They will not all go in one day. No, they don't. What happens is that each time something will get something released that is, you will express something. And God will say to you, you didn't know it was there. I want you to know it's there. Like Simon, don't get angry when you are rebuked. Get on your knees and pray. That bitterness will go. Once the bitterness is gone, you know what happens next? The iniquity, the bond of iniquity is broken. 
The, the fact that you give your life to Christ does not mean you are, forgive, you are forgiving everybody that hurt you. There are those still today. They are angry with their father. Do you know why? The fellow was 10. When the father and the mother quarreled, the father left. Left the house. Left them with their mother. And they began to suffer. And the man established another family and forgot his first wife and her children. So this young man suffered needlessly because the father was well to do. And he's still pursuing money today to show the man that he was not necessary in his life. I don't get my point. I will be successful in this life. Now, I've suffered from the time of, I was 10. My mother had to work, work hard. We didn't have enough. Now I'm 25, 30. I'm still going to make money and make sure my father suffers. And may he fall sick and won't give him a dime. There are men and women going around life today like that. One day, one of my friends, the father was sick. So I went to see the father. And he sat. He was watching. He carried me, went to where his father was. And at the end of the day, he burst into laughter. He said, look at him. <laughs> he laughed. He said, look how the tables have turned. He was laughing. Look at him. Helpless. You know, because a few years before, he and his father had a real, you know, the whole thing scattered. And I think his father beat him or something like that. He insulted the man very well. The man beat him very well. He parted ways. So he sat and I look at you now. You have a stroke. That was his attitude. And he was like, is that laughing? He was into laughter. There was not what one, one drop of pity was not in his eyes. Tell you. That is what we mean when we're talking about sanctification. Because no matter how justified you are, honor your father and your mother. Otherwise, it will not go well with you. No matter how justified. That is why many Christians cannot be blessed. That's why we have to reason like David. He said, search me, O Lord. Try me, O Lord. Know my heart. When David said, know my heart, he wasn't saying that God knew it. God always knew it. That know my heart is that let me know it. Reveal it to me. Many people, look. I read a book long ago titled, Please Love Me. It's an old book. I don't even remember the author. But I remember that girl. All her movement up and down. And there are many girls like that. This girl is too loose. This girl is too loose. She's not loose. You know what she's looking for? Love. It's just that she's looking for it in the wrong places. Go around and start asking people. How many of you have your father ever hugged? You'll be shocked. African men don't hug people. They are men, you look the, that their wife had children, you'll be wondering, how did they manage? Because a man doesn't hug anybody. And the young girl has been watching film where people hug people. That book, it was written by an American woman. The book is titled, Please Love Me. She just wanted somebody to love her. That's what she's looking for. 
That's what we mean by the bondage of iniquity arising from the gall of bitterness. When we're talking about progressive sanctification, that's what we're talking about. These little things, they lock in there, here and there, frustrating the seed of God. Oh, when God plants a seed, did you not read the enemies put stairs in there? These are the weeds of the realm of the spirit. Bitterness is the weed. The seed of God wants to germinate, is struggling with it. God had to get up one day and say, now, time to separate light from darkness. That is what we mean by progressive sanctification. We are not saying that you were not set apart when you were born again. We are saying even though you were set apart when you were born again, there may be bitterness. Even psychologists have learned it. When they are treating things, they want to know the root. We have an advantage. We don't need to talk plenty. We pray. If a bad habit doesn't leave you easy, go and check the root. Sometimes that root, like I give about young men, young women, fathers offended, there's nothing you can do more than say, I forgive him. Some of those some of those fathers are bad people. Wicked souls. You know, there are some men. You'll be praying, God, don't let them. Nobody should depend on these people in this life. They are too wicked. They are so wicked. Say, who gave you a wife? Who gave you children? Ha! Huh? You want to go to heaven and say, God, what's going on? Did you know this guy was this bad? Such people, sometimes they give their lives to Christ. Eh? In fact, I remember that those days I read them. Um, what's the name of Deliver from the Power of Darkness? No, no, not that one. The American woman. The, the, Rebecca Brown. When I read Rebecca, Rebecca Brown, let me tell that story and I end with it. Rebecca Brown got this girl that was a prostitute, a witch, a drug addict. She was everything. How bad can a human, a human being be? No, think about it. Drug addict, prostitute, on top of that, witch. This girl was a witch. Gave her life to Christ. Rebecca Brown had problems on her hands. I read that book that time. I came from the background of the word of faith. I couldn't understand what was going on. But over time, God has helped me now to balance things out. Said they will, you know what they call demons? Demons. Israel. What's the name of our guy? Karate demons. The healing minister. Corey Blake. Corey Blake said from karate, he had how many demons? A number of demons. Plenty. And he will tell you that he remembers the day they left one by one. Demons are real. It's some of the things that people do. You just say Bruce Lee, practice alone. <laughs> Go and learn what Chinese man called jujitsu. Those guys, really, they didn't why they call it jujitsu. It's juju. Rebecca Brown had issue on her hand with this girl, which gave her life to Christ. Said the demons wouldn't let go. They will cast out demons. She will have a vision. That's Rebecca Brown. She will see that like they're in a room and the demons are coming in from under the door. She will begin to pray, bind the door, close the door, under. Bam. They will have peace. The demons will reappear again. Ah, where did they come from? Spiritually, she will see it. They came from a window. She began to close the window spiritually. Close the window. Close the window. Ah, I was really, I said, oh, which Jesus Christ are you people serving? Because I don't get this, this struggle with spirits. I said, this is odd. 
This is not Christianity. After Rebecca Brown became tired, when you fight demons for one week, you will be tired. There's no way you won't be tired. I don't care who you are. Jesus didn't fight demons for one week. That she was tired. She went and prayed, God, what is going on? I'm talking about the bondage of iniquity and the gall of bitterness. When she got to that point, I said, exactly. I knew something like this had to be up. Do you know why? Suddenly it was revealed to her what the problem was. So she called the girl, told the girl to sit down. What is the issue? Why are these demons harassing us? I found out why. This girl was a senior witch. She was not a witch still doing the uncle in the village. No, 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 no. These were real witches. I don't know whether she's the one or another. No, no, it's not her. Because I remember a witch I said who threw somebody into a wall with her glance. These are real witches. She had, she, she had power in the realm of the spirit. And when she left the coven because of her new her faith, listen to this, oh. She knew that those demons and those other witches would come after her. She knew. And this was what Rebecca Brown confronted her with. Despite the fact that she had given her life to Christ, she retained her skills and her power of manipulating spiritual things. She held down and said, I'm not dropping it. Did you hear what I said? I know the incantation to use. I know how to do this. Because when time to fight will come, Rebecca, you know good did at that time. Of course, see, she didn't understand Christianity. So all the while Rebecca Brown was fighting, binding demons. The demon, Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. These demons have something in her. In fact, one of the demons, now my understanding of spiritual things, one high-ranking demon was with her and wouldn't go. Because he told, she told him, don't go. I don't know whether I get the point. Because you don't, you don't control spiritual realm just like, I mean, you needed to have power. So she held her power. There was a connection, and I'm the one saying this now. There was a connection with the principality that she had. And said, so I won't let it go. Why? Because when I need to fight, this is how I will fight. It was deep inside her. Rebecca did not know. She gave her life to Christ most certainly. She was baptized most certainly. They had cast out demons from her. Of course. But remember, the goal of what? Bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. Rebecca Brown said to her, Oh girl, I perceive that you have this thing and you won't let it go. She did not deny it. He said, listen, my sister, when the chips are down, when we get to the last fight, I need it. Rebecca Brown said to her, no, you can't hold it. The girl said, no, I got to. Rebecca Brown said, no, it doesn't work like that. You have to let it go. The girl said, no. That was not the new fight. It took her a long time to finally relent. Now, why am I telling this story? Was she saved? Yes. Was she still in the bondage of iniquity in that area? Yes. She had to now renounce those powers. No, listen to Corey Blake. It takes you years. Black belt. When they call that thing black belt, no be joke. He was cooked in martial arts, carrying demons around. When those men fight, like my friend told me once, that he has seen, maybe it's a movie or, or no, a, a documentary. A man wanted, you know when they say they, they cut things with their bare hands? The man wanted to cut a bunch of wood. He split before his hand got there. I don't know whether I get my point. It's a level of, you think Masha asked Najel Kushi Kusha? Sit down there. Now, if you've been training Masha to that level, you live in Ajegule 
When you are rolling at night, that's how you roll. Boys, don't they try you? They bring knife, bang, bang, bang. you slap people with knife, they end, end up in gutter. You now give your life to Christ. You now say, drop down and say, bros, do you go out in Ajegule? I hope you're getting my point. Do you go out here? This I say, Christian, he said, Christian means I must die. There are those who are staying in such bondage. And I've given these extremes as examples. There are so many different aspects of life. This is the call of God. We have to be saved from all of them. That's why the Bible says to those who are being saved, it is a power of God. That is, you need the power of God for salvation in different areas. We know we give our lives to Christ. But what about these little things that we hold on to here and there? Paul says, seeing that we have these promises. For example, the karate man should know he has a promise that's found in Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge concerning you to keep you in all your way. They will bear you up on their hands so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You don't need demons to protect you. He says, seeing that we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. Oh, you don't want a man to oppress you in life. Like I say, you cannot, there's nothing you can do. Life is full of traps. You cannot skim your way into a good marriage, into a successful life. You can't. What you can do is to ask God about it. Get on your knees and say to God, I forgive my father. But I don't want to have a husband that will treat me the way he treated my mother. Simple. You know what he will do? He will answer you. But like I said, salvation has a price. It's not money. It's not so that they rush to the forefront and give an offering. No. No, that's not what salvation's price is. At such times, God will say, from now on, every man you see, you will treat with respect, even if he's 10 years old. So you see the Angelina of yesterday, before the prayer, and the one of today. You will pass, she will stand up to greet you. Ah, you're like, you will look to the left and the right. Kilode, what's going on here? Ah, Brother Philip, how are you? I'm fine. Any problem? Because you are still shocked. So I'm just greeting you now. Ah, suddenly she's so nice. She's paying for her deliverance. You know. That that thing does not deliver in itself. But it's God's sign that really, that really, you want me to deliver you. Because from now, that's how your life will be. She will become such a gentle, the story around the fellowship or the office or the church will be, ah, have you seen that sister? I can't believe it. Eh? She has just sown her seed for the thing that she said to God. I don't ever want. But look at the way they see this now. It's God that said, this is a price. It's not really like God said, give me something. No. It is just that the thing you held on to, let it go. This is your brashness. This is your aggressive nature. I don't want it. Let it go. So Paul said, seeing that we have these promises of a good home, let us cleanse ourselves of what? All defilement of flesh and of spirit. That is what we call progressive sanctification. And it is an instruction that God has given to all of us. We must abide by it. We must work on it. Paul said, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Let me stop it here. Let me just give the Lord thanks for the word that we have preached today.